Oh, right. So stupid computer shit. Um, so my computer fucking shit itself um, <laughs> last weekend, right? And it was supposed to be like a nice day, you know, I'm supposed to relax, right? I get to get off work early. Everything's nice. And, you know, I was going to make myself a nice fucking breakfast, all that. Um, and then my, I go to open up my computer and fucking dies. So I'm like, oh, Lord. I mean, keep in mind that this thing was a trooper. Um, I, have <laughs> treat, I have treated and mistreated this <laughs> computer for years now. Um and uh, finally decided to, to, to give up. It was on life support in, in, uh, in any case. But anyways, uh, it died. And then I was like, you know what? I need to, uh, I, I kind of need to go and uh, get a new one. Uh, the issue is that um, I need, like, I need something that's kind of, well, I want something decent. I don't want some just garbage fucking computer because uh, I'd like to, you know, record my videos and edit and, and, and render and all that nonsense. Um, so nothing in, in my little area could be found. So I had to go and drive. The, the closest place to me where I could get a decent deal was a city that was like 100 kilometers away. So not that big of a deal, but I still had to go fucking drive to another city just to pick up a computer. And then I brought it home, and then the fucking internet didn't work, so I needed to go and get a Wi-Fi adapter. It was a mess, but <laughs> alhamdulillah. Now, now I have a fucking working computer to talk shit with you guys. Nice work. Oh, congratulations yeah. on your new mm, setup. Mm, yes, it's fucking still garbage. I'm still underneath the bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, only, it's only ever so slightly less ghetto. <laughs> well, you sound good. People will never know unless you tell them what you just yeah. did. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fuck, <laughs> fuck. No, please. We're in some fancy studio in an upscale, an upscale studio in Manhattan. All right, all of us are wearing turtlenecks. Right, we love the smell of our own farts. <laughs> talk, talk in your name. The only place that's relatively sound isolationist around here in these commie blocks are the special bunkers underground, but those don't have heating. So I'm wearing like <laughs> seven layers of jackets uh, sitting next to a literal fire that I have a little uh, sound isolation box built around so that you can't hear the beautiful, beautiful crackling uh, and only my voice. Uh, but mm, yes, beautiful. it's uh, we got to do what we got to do. Well, JT over there is probably in uh, the same studio where Jay-Z records his singles. So. <laughs> he says hi, by the way. Oh, okay, what a lovely... Uh, can you tell him to uh, send some money over to <laughs> yeah. the next lights or something? <laughs> yeah, tell him to his billionaire ass can suck my fucking dick. Yeah. All right, so hello, everybody. Uh, you're listening to the D program. Um, I don't know, do we normally intro, intro this or, <laughs> or not? Um, basically, uh, today's... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm bad at introing fucking bitch. The, the most the only the most professional intros over here, guys. Alright, three, two, one. Yes, hello, you're listening to the D program. Don't cut the previous shit out. Oh no, it's the end. Um <laughs> Uh, today's episode, uh, we'll be discussing the former uh, socialism, like faults of former socialism is a better way of putting it, the things that were done badly, things that could have been done better, and maybe we'll have a little um, segment in which we'll discuss common uh, arguments and, and um, ideas of opposition, let's say, uh, to what former socialisms tried to do, how they did things, etc., etc. Um, yes. Self-crit. <laughs> self-crit is very good, and we shall try yes. to do the self-critting. Yeah, yes. I've gotten a lot of comments about this topic uh, on my videos. I'm sure you guys have as well. Just people are very curious mm -hmm. about what we think about, you know, some of the the past things that didn't go so well in, in previous socialist projects or current ones. Um, mm -hmm. So I think people are really going to be interested in what we have to say here. Um, so like I did in the reform or revolution episode, I think I'm going to play the role of the... Uh, the typical 
ignorant American opposition here. So I've got I've got a handful <laughs> of of objections to past socialist projects that I can I can throw out, and I figured we'd address those, and then and maybe go on after that to to discuss to do some self crit and, and talk about these these former socialist projects from a left perspective more than uh, mm. the the typical objections I'm going to give. So we can jump into those whenever you guys are ready, but. Just thought I'd give that up For front. Sure. Uh, I th- I'd like to say one thing, though. Um, since the topic is the issues of former socialism, we can talk w- about the, the number one um, uh, failure, we can say, of former socialism, which is that Stalin did not go far enough. That's the show, guys. <laughs> Good night. Thank you. I'm Hakeem. <laughs> or or there, there was one, uh, I hope he might, he might be listening, because he was a great inspiration, a channel called Socialism or Barbarism, and they deleted their channel mm. at one point. Mm. And I remember their bio being, we know that socialists, have killed many people. The only thing we know for sure, though, is that it wasn't <laughs> enough. <laughs> so yeah, um, to me, like there's multiple things that we can touch on when it comes to specific problems, uh, which came about with uh, very virgin sort of uh, attempts towards creating the quote-unquote dictatorship of the proletariat, and then the lower stage of communism or socialism, as we discussed in certain episodes uh, before. But one of the biggest issues that I take uh, with uh, previous socialist experiments is the so-called anti-religious practices. Uh, In my opinion, they were just all around insanity most of the time. I mean, I completely understand the intrinsic need people felt to go after institutions which had been so instrumental in the monarchist leadership in all of these countries, as well as the horrors which they permitted and sometimes even committed themselves. But, and trust me, I'm the last guy who talks about fucking optics. I'm go- I've gone from mm-hmm. a guy thinking that they're extremely important to genuinely thinking they ain't worth shit. But man, like, man, the optics and lack of pragmatism of quite literally alienating, like, what, I don't know, 90% of the population <laughs> back then by completely rejecting religiosity? What's What good is that going to do? Uh, yeah. You're being principled? Well, let's agree to disagree. In my opinion, in a post capitalist system, religious institutions wouldn't have the profit motive, which they very much so have now, which would in turn eventually remove the necessity of many of their hierarchies, as well as would lead to them outgrowing dogmatic and conservative and quote-unquote old-school beliefs. So even if your goal is uh, true and absolute atheism or whatever you fucking call it, which really isn't for me, but okay, you do you, (laughs) the path to such a project isn't uh, running in front of the problem and proactively banning said religions because belief doesn't work that way. It's often immaterial (laughs) and will only lead to a bunch of potential allies of yours eventually turning against you it's short-sighted to say the very least uh, to build up on that point a bit um to kind of develop it uh yeah it's it was a very dogmatic application and the fault really starts and ends with the soviet union because they're the ones who started this precedent of being so anti-religious i mean some people can be like oh the french revolution and the paris commune and that and blah blah, blah. yeah kind of but the big example that people want to follow is the soviet union and uh, that's, well, the example that was applied. Um, just to give a few examples of how this, uh, this religious uh, pro- uh, persecution or oppression uh, was, was uh, carried out. And I'm going to give a few examples of how it could be done better. 
not the persecution, but like some sort of integrationist approach. Um, the the uh, in the Soviet Union at first, it was very um, accepting and all encompassing of the various uh, ethnicities and religions and and, and uh, um, um, well groups, peoples of of the Soviet Union. Um, but within the Soviet Union, the it, it was the sole example because I'm coming from a Muslim tradition myself. Uh, it was the sole example under uh, former socialisms uh, in which the Christian uh, religion faced more persecution than the Muslim one, uh, even though both faced quite a bit. Uh, the the Christianity was the one who felt most of the brunt in the Soviet Union. Interestingly, everywhere else, particularly in the Eastern Bloc, it was Islam that was very heavily targeted, uh, usually at the expense, um, or no, that's not correct English, usually like to the benefit of what would be considered uh, traditional Christian groupings. Um, uh, good examples of this can be in Bulgaria and uh, in, in Albania, uh, with the uh, renaming, for yeah. example, uh, the idea that, for example, the quote unquote Muslim names, quote unquote, which are mostly Arabic origin, if not Persian otherwise, uh, were uh, somehow foreign to the national identity, and people had to undergo uh, forced renaming. Uh, not only this, but people, uh, it was uh, illegal to name your ch- uh, child something uh, outside of an official register for names, like that was an example in Albania. Um, this was way more heavily applied to Muslim communities as a way of justifying centuries-old tension, uh, ethnic strife and whatnot through the lens and eyes of uh, some quasi-state you know, state atheist, um, uh, if you want to call it perception or not. Uh, but it's still nonetheless wrong. It was uh, some people had grudges against, for example, Muslims for whatever reason, um, uh, and they used this idea of state atheism specifically against a weapon as a weapon against Muslim, the traditionally Muslim people in some parts of of, of uh, the Balkans. That's not the only example, though. Um, generally, across all uh, religious traditions, they would have their um, houses of worship shut down. Uh, they would uh, be barred from learning traditional languages. Um, even printing of religious books was banned in certain areas. Uh, to give an example, um, when my father was, uh, for those who are unaware, my father um, studied uh, and lived many years in the Soviet Union. Um, and uh, on uh, once he, he visited um, Baku, which is in, in, in Azerbaijan, and uh, he was um, having a meal at a restaurant somewhere there, and a bunch of people realized that uh, he wasn't from, he wasn't so from the Soviet Union, even though he spoke fluent Russian, they realized that he's actually Iraqi, uh, like an Arab. And uh, afterwards, there, a small crowd ended up following him all the way back to his um, hotel room, begging him to teach them how to read the Quran. That This is a, a level of... And by the way, this was not, oh, like, ooh, 1932 in the most... No, this was in the 80s, um, in the late 70s and early 80s. This is not okay not in any way, shape, or form. There are ways of, of combating reactionary tendencies within religious populations that still maintain and uh, encompass their the same religious traditions so that uh, a progressive attitude may be taken in the future. That's what I meant by in, uh, integrationist approach. Exactly. Um, yeah, and the most ironic thing is it didn't work. Like These mm-hmm. people yeah. still believed they couldn't practice it to the full extent because they didn't know Arabic and they couldn't mm-hmm. read the Quran pro- like in its original form. But they were still religious. So it even did, even from the atheist perspective, it was stupid. Mm. It did not work. Yes, please mm. continue. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry because I'm, I'm probably dragging on this point a bit, but just so I can get all my thoughts out. The, the primary failure of this is even after the dissolution, the illegal dissolution of the Soviet Union, I may add, 
all those policies failed because everywhere where the you know the state atheism reigned now there's a massive rebound of religion so all that oppression was for nothing absolutely it didn't make you know some new like oh the uh, homo sovieticus who's you know not predisposed to believe in a higher power mm-hmm. it didn't you know exactly. usher us into some uh, massive uh you know era of scientific leaps and bounds without the you know, uh, chains of religion. None of this shit happened. What ended up happening is you just destroyed lots of lives and prevented people from expressing themselves in indigenous ways, however you want to put that. I'm sorry, you got to No, no, exactly. But sometimes even it went even further than that. The mm. Homo Sovieticus was not created, but actually uh, to an even greater contrast, the argument was now given for the most reactionary sections of uh, different, be it nationalist or very religious groupings inside of uh, the entirety of the Eastern Bloc uh, and further, who could now use the argument that revenge was on the table because for so long the communists did not allow them to practice whatever they wanted to practice. This does not only apply to religion, but also to national identity, etc., etc., which led to a lot of uh, young and uh, very easily impressionable people joining very, very far-right and reactionary and incredibly conservative movements Mm -hmm. against uh, communists because they were sold on the idea that communism was the definition of everything which is against their fate, and honestly, at to certain extents, when it comes to people from like less educated areas, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I can completely understand them why they would go and participate in these anti-communist movements because all their life and all of their dad's life, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they were they were limited in practicing it to the fullest extent. Maybe not. Uh, uh, limited as much as, for example, the radicals who told them to, you know, fucking uh, start a civil war or go take mm. take up a school, etc., uh, etc. Et but uh, surely to an enough of an extent which would allow these these people to uh, to radicalize uh, youngsters into into their movement. So it's it's a lose lose from every single every single front. And I just you mentioned you mentioned Bulgaria previously, and yes, like over seven hundred thousand Muslims back in Todorzhivkov's days had their names forcefully changed or they, their citizenship revoked and deported and they got deported to Turkey which was presented as an attempt to quote-unquote rid themselves of what was left of their previous imperialist overlords which were the Ottoman Turks but in reality in my modest opinion this was just a reactionary step towards motivating one part of the population against the other a typical divide and conquer social mechanism we see in the worst of our enemies which makes me even fucking sadder about this whole thing and yes I am all up for anti-imperialism but once the imperialist nation the structure the government the country has been ejected humiliation or the expelling of the people left over by that imperialist entity doesn't really stand up to scrutiny if you know what i mean this this is just a massive example of the potential horrors which could very much so happen in a country with socialist economic tendencies okay great Mm. but which doesn't do its part in creating a sort of internationalist consciousness open-mindedness a a view towards uh, being socially egalitarian 
uh, and conscious mm. inside of the inside of the country itself. And I think this could move us mm. into kind of a subtopic of this topic, mm. which is that uh, surprise, surprise, not to a lot of people from our part of the world, but maybe to some of our Western mm. listeners, a lot we we tend to hear about. Uh, just how uh, much rights women received, uh, uh, minorities, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which is all very true. But very often, a lot of a lot of these countries, especially up until the eighties, were uh, very, very socially conservative. Uh, mm. You'll be surprised just how much. And if you want to, we can touch on this. Uh, if it's okay, I just want to add one little point. The amount of destruction of historical he- heritage as a result of religious pr- uh, persecution is also, it, it, like in the simplest way I can say, a damn shame. Um, in Albania alone, over 3,000 churches and, and mosques were destroyed. Historic, ancient buildings with beautiful calligraphy or icons of Christ, Byzantine his- history, all of that was completely destroyed just because of, you know, some uh, irrational hatred of religion, uh, which is, is beyond ridiculous. At least the Soviets kind of turned them into museums or something, um, which even that is very uh, yikes, but yeah. Um, and my TLDR point is, uh, in the future, um, because this has given uh, the, the ideological weapon to every single reactionary around the world, exactly. especially within... Uh, within uh, religious populations, the first thing you mention whenever you try to talk to a religious person about socialism or communism, they're going to say, "But it is an atheist philosophy. It is something that against that is against religion." Haven't you seen what they did in Soviet Union, Albania, blah blah blah? Right. This is especially in my personal experience. So the TLDR is this was one of the most uh, severe failings of the global socialist movement and the future um, isn't it better to bring religion under the arm of the state of a proletarian party so working class people who do believe can practice their religion in a way that is directed towards the development of society towards egalitarianism because every religion has egalitarian principles that can be um, centered upon etc etc it can be something that can be used to aid the development of socialism instead of giving it as a weapon to the reactionary forces against socialism that's my point could not agree more. I mean, especially nowadays when you have so many multicultural states, a potential revolution there, which would imply a strict atheist approach. I mean, JT, imagine if in Texas uh, <laughs> you had an actual movement, for example, in 100 years being led by, by your grandson. Uh, called Chad, Chad obviously, uh, <laughs> and imagine his party then like actually implying that uh, they will tear down churches, that they will uh, dis- disavow uh, all religious principles, that if you want to be a member of the party, you need to reject your uh, religious beliefs, etc., etc. I mean, in the, in the first fucking three minutes of that conversation, you would. Uh, you would uh, lose pretty much 99% of everyone who's listening. Yeah. So it was yeah. relevant back then, and it's even more relevant now, in my opinion. And Texas, or just the United States in general, is moderately religious compared to the vast majority of the third world, which is very religious. So you can imagine why uh, socialism hasn't been uh, that successful here, despite the fact that uh, we've had massive movements and lots of impetus, material relations and materialities that would support the development of socialism uh, and revolutionary attitudes. So yeah, you can see the, the, the grand failure in this scheme. But I think we've we've talked about this enough. Um, and there's a lot more we'll probably have in a proper episode on religion in the future that we can discuss this further.
as me Mihakim and JT were talking, the uh, it was like re- religion to nowadays is seen as a kind of conservative value, which is kind of bullshit in my modest opinion. But uh, this sort of image of the communists uh, being incredibly modernistic and fighting against uh, a religious current might make you think that they were uh, in the previous uh, experiments. Uh, quite socially liberal and open-minded and etc etc and as we've talked previously in certain cases yes very much so but there are these silly little things that have uh, had such far-reaching consequences that I'm pretty sure when they were being passed as legislation nobody would have ever even imagined and a lot of these uh, might sound silly now, but to people living in in these pre, in these uh, countries with socialist tendencies back in the day, it was a very fucking big deal. What the fuck is Yugopnik talking about? Obviously, I have to make seven mm-hmm. circles around the the goddamn topic. <laughs> For example, banning skateboards, banning Western music, or jeans. Mm. For fuck's sakes, <laughs> is an extension. <laughs> To this exact conservative story, yeah, that I'm <laughs> talking about, but, but it did, was it only done with Pol Pot? Yes, Pol Pot was on steroids, but mm-hmm. it, it, all of these policies genuinely made the East look like uh, they were very weak during the Cold mm. War, as if they were Culturally. running away and hiding from the perceived wealth of the West. I mean, that's not what a government which is comfortable in its ideology does i have countless stories from uh, now i'm i'm gonna do a dad thing i have countless (laughs) stories from my dad of uh, how he's super proud of his jeans and jackets from western brands that he literally keeps until today and how Mm. proud he was when he could afford them when he he could wear them in public and he would be like the only one and nobody else would have it or how jealous he was when some of some other friends would get like levi's or something you know people saved western chocolate wrappings inside of books for decades so they can preserve as much of the smell of high quality cocoa as possible like don't get me started on like perfumes or sneakers or a sneaker in in fucking oh lord i mean you did have them at 1.60 70 etc but i mean to this day uh, like Eastern European schmucks think that McDonald's, yes, McDonald's, the place they serve you fried cockroaches in a bun, <laughs> is a cool, kids, edgy place to go eat at. The consequences of being, of having something forbidden to you is uh, very, very, very far-reaching. And I thought about this a lot, actually. Like, who's to blame for this, right? And had, like, plenty of conversations with older people who lived in those times, and many did, like, equalize the communist leadership of that time with these harsh, conservative, heavy-handed people. And sometimes they would go into saying they that was necessary, and some would criticize them for that. But it wasn't necessarily that their ideology demanded them to be harsh and, you know, these uh, always uh, grouchy little annoyed dudes. But uh, it it was that most high-ranking communists with power were what? Old. 300 years old. They, they 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 were very old. These governments wrapped up either in their struggle for the creation of socialism, which was the 
vast majority in my opinion, or their personal well-being in the case of corrupt individuals, both forgot to, in both cases, forgot to look at the very real needs of young people who were changing run, right in front of their eyes. Mm. Yugoslavia's Tito was less guilty of this than others by pretty yeah. much opening the country to Western culture to an extent and translating it not as consumerist, but as just different to the population so it can enjoy Western culture as much as it can enjoy Eastern and Southern and Northern, whatever the fuck Northern culture is. Fucking Norway, does that fucking have a culture? I'm sorry, Norwegian <laughs> listeners. Yes, you do. I've been to your country. It's beautiful. Uh, but uh, yeah, so what Tito did, a lot of a lot of socialist experiments can cannot really state having done. Uh, and it might have hurt it. It might have helped it. This can be a, a debate. But again, uh, having a lack of representation of the people who are at the forefront of cultural change hmm. uh, inside of your governance, whatever system you're in, is going to lead to a massive dissonance between the actual people who, that uh, live in the society and the and the ones who are helping run it. And number two, uh, when you have strong, rooted beliefs that you are right, and in the long run that the struggle will be correct, mm. what the fuck are you doing arresting kids for painting graffiti? <laughs> Or fucking making the DIY skateboard rank, ramps and fucking skateboarding in front of uh, communist malls or whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> called gooms, by the way. It's 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 a sign of weakness, and and I don't get it. And don't get me started on a lot of people being conservative in much more important aspects than just these uh, the availability of consumer goods. But uh, that's a topic that could be talked about for decades. There are two good points that you touched. Uh, two good segue points that you touched on there. Number one is this the consumer goods aspect, and the other one was the ossification uh, of leadership. I think I'd like to talk about the ossification of leadership as a as a particular idea. Um, generally, in the former socialisms, what we see is that there is some first generation of, of revolutionaries, highly respected, um, who actually bring about the revolution, start the very uh, beginning of construction of socialism. As a result, they get a lot of respect, as they should. But this results usually. In as we've seen in history, uh, in a group of very old, very out-of-touch dudes, mostly men, of course, at the very top, who not only are disconnected from what the average young person understands and believes about their country, about ideology, about socialism, capitalism, etc., etc., but also about the the, the uh, general necessary trends for running a dynamic socialist country, right? And by the way, of course, I don't want anybody to think um, that this is some idea like uh, that these people were just picked from the very beginning of the revolution and they just stayed. Now they're very uh, thorough and all-encompassing um, democratic structures in all forms socialisms that resulted in the election and re-election of many of these people um but the very fact that just because you happen to be from you know the old guard right you're one of the first revolutionaries and you get a lot of respect doesn't mean that you should be re-elected over and over again uh for your position up until you're 92 and fucking demented right uh joel biden (laughs) (laughs) sorry but yeah, uh, and this is something we saw like um, the average age of the Politburo and the Soviet Union, if I recall correctly, was I think like 70, 72 or so? no, 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 60, 60, between 60 and 70, which is way too fucking old. 
Um, and this is reproduced across pretty much all the Eastern Bloc um, and uh, the Soviet Union. Cuba has been much better with this recently. Vietnam has been be better with this recently. Um, so, there, you know, modern socialism as it currently exists has been combating this trend. But as it historically existed, uh, one of the largest um, political failings, I think, is keeping power uh, centralized with really old dudes that don't really know any better anymore, especially after uh, life changes around them and moves too fast for them to know what's going on. Um, do you guys have yeah. anything to build upon that? Well, yeah, I mean, even in non-socialist uh, societies like the United States, we have a huge problem with, with age in politics here. I mean, all of our representatives are ancient, or mm. they're, they're very young fascists. Um, in the case <laughs> of people like Hawley, for example, um, mm. he sucks. Um, but it is a very a common issue that we run into where you get these people who, because they are older, are seen as more experienced. They mm. have accumulated years of knowledge and therefore are, are determined to be more qualified than, than a younger person. And I think that is something that we need to address in any variant of society, whether socialist or not, because we can't make progress if these same ancient ghouls are, are refusing to to listen to what the younger people have to say. And I think that's um, especially true of any budding socialist movement. Exactly right. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That is um, why eugenics based on age... <laughs> brilliant idea <laughs> brilliant idea exactly right yeah the second grandma hits 72 you know you take her out back <laughs> two in the head <laughs> Go grab all the jewels so, sorry grandma you, you become counter-revolutionary <laughs> <laughs> you hang her sign around her like the cultural revolution you throw paint <laughs> on <laughs> It's so fucked up. Uh, no, don't do that to your grandma. She doesn't deserve you put, it. Put, you put arsenic in your grandpa's uh, 72nd uh, birthday cake and force him to <laughs> eat it, even though he knows the policy. <laughs> so he's like, no, grandson, please, no, do not eat it. Eat it, grandpa. I want that fucking old Dodge Mustang you got in the garage, motherfucker. Ford. Ford Mustang. Ford Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> taste, taste the revolutionary anger of the youth. Anyways, um, with that being said, though, don't go out and kill your grandparents. Um, <laughs> but this also... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you know what? You do you, okay? Uh, but what was I going to say? This segues also nicely into a topic we, we were discussing earlier. Two Actually, two points that can we, we can segue into. Consumer goods and democratic participation. Now, you guys can choose. What do you want to talk about more? Consumer uh, goods? Yeah, let's do consumer goods. Yeah, it reminds me of that of that weird YouTube video. It's like, oh, do you want the, to be an angel or a Grinch? So what will it be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. So, okay, consumer goods. All right, uh, just a basic um, uh, refresher for people. When uh, most socialisms that have developed historically have been in the imperial periphery, they have not been imperial core countries. What, what does this mean um, in, 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 in uh, concrete? What this means is that these places did not have entirely developed industry, usually of all forms, both uh, heavy and light industry. So what was the very first thing that most of these uh, socialisms needed to do? They fell into this mindset of seed socialism, which, by the way, is a very correct mindset to have, as history has proven, in which they're afraid that they're going to be under attack uh, militarily, um, diplomatically, economically, and every other form. Um, and as a result, they need to protect themselves. And one of the very first ways of kind of um, coalescing or, or, or forming this layer of defense is 
developing heavy industry so that they can number one uh, be ready for military action if need be so they can produce uh, you know guns and tanks and, and bullets exactly right as well as uh, be able to produce all the necessary prerequisites for um, uh, everything that heavy industry entails which means for example mining <laughs> exactly mining construction <laughs> do you have an idea for construction I'm doing my thing <laughs> So yeah, mining, construction, uh, building roads, building hospitals, etc., etc. Right? Um, but th- this is the thing: whenever you put in this much, um, uh, th- uh, these many uh, resources, this these many, this many resources. Fuck, is that correct English? That's correct. Yes, this many, <laughs> <laughs> this many. Re- <laughs> excuse me, these many resources <laughs> uh, into such a thing. What you end up with is basically a drain from other sectors of the economy. One of which is light industry. What does light industry uh, include? It includes, for example, I don't know, checker patterned panties, whatever. Right? It includes. Uh, by the way, you think that's a weird example? I'll give you uh, why. Uh, I'll tell you why that example comes to mind. Because um, I'm reminded by a statement by a Soviet professor that uh, heard complaints of students, basically. Uh, and he said that, uh, like, oh, you guys, like, uh, you're all fucked in the head, basically, because we produce Sputniks, but you guys are annoyed that we don't have, um, like, multicolor patterned panties, is what she said, basically, and lingerie <laughs> and stuff. She was like, we don't produce lingerie, but we produce Sputniks. Um, and this actually kind of leads into something that's very intrinsic to human beings that is annoying, but also must be understood. A lot of people, as much as, you know, you show them the brand new hospital that you build and built and the new uh, bridge, you know, and the uh, massive dam and all that kind of stuff. And they look at it and they're like, yeah, it's pretty cool that, you know, we're producing more electricity. But that I doesn't can't park it have... in front of the club, bro. I can't park <laughs> that new hospital exactly. in front of the club, can't bro. can't use it to get I laid. Can't... That's the issue, right? <laughs> I can't <laughs> wear it around my neck, bro. That fucking dam doesn't have enough bling. It's all fucking cement, yeah. bro. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's actually very right. Well, the point I put it in the trunk of my BMW, bro. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> but anyways, uh, what I was saying is um, because these people, uh, you don't see the direct benefit of you know this new hospital has been built in another city that's you know has a massive new cancer ward and stuff like that. But you do see you know increased variety in clothing or you know higher quality goods, you know like a higher quality watch or nicer perfume or you know even simple things like prefabricated stuff, better furniture. You know, that's another example that can be uh, tied into light industry. I don't mean just like, you know, mass-produced furniture for classrooms, but, I mean, furniture for your home. Uh, appliances uh, can sometimes be, depending on uh, what, what kind of appliance, uh, can fall into light industry. Another f- uh, example is, for example, diapers for babies, and as well as, um, uh, what do they call in English, tampons and pads for women. That's another example where you have something that directly benefits the vast majority of the population in a very direct way. And I think that this is interestingly one of the ironic successes of capitalism, because uh, under capitalist systems, the vast majority of people, uh, like for example in the United States, they don't have health care. They don't have decent access to education. They're m- drowning in debt. But they're happy because at the end of the day, uh, the, the consumer uh, aspect uh, and, and the amount of uh, uh, what's, what's the word? choices, in English, that's the word. The amount of choices that they have uh, are uh, all-encompassing and can and can meet any any want that they have. Yeah. This is easier said than done under socialism because we do end up being in usually uh, semi-feudal or previously agrarian societies on the imperial periphery. So we don't have all the industry and and, and um, manpower and, and and reserve to push into both heavy and light industry. Um, so these failings of former socialisms aren't really 
direct failing of theirs. It's kind of a direct failing as a result of the material conditions. That doesn't mean, though, that they couldn't have had a better approach to, to light industry. Sorry, uh, you got me. I talk too much. Go on. No, you don't. Like, I was just <laughs> agreeing. I love flick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of a, a point of of, of uh, uh, light industry. There can be it can be developed much deeper. But uh, I think I've talked enough about this. Well, I think what Yugopnik had said earlier, like you can't park it in front of the club. I think that's exactly <laughs> right. It's like it's not my bridge. It's not my hospital. But they can be my jeans or my Funko Pops or whatever. <laughs> there is a drive to, you know, to, <laughs> which was the most important things, the Funko Pops. Um, <laughs> but there's a drive to to acquire these things, to kind of squirrel them away in your nest and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, feel good for having acquired something that you saw that looked nice. I mean, at base, we're, we're, we're little more than crows in that regard. We <laughs> like the shiny things. We see the shiny things when we want to take them home. Um, and that is an aspect of uh, human nature that needs to be understood. But also, I mean, it's taken to an extreme in places like the United States, where the entire sure. structure is built around consumption of these little chachis, exactly. and to the detriment of infrastructure, hospitals, dams, all that stuff. Society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Constant accumulation of shit is... Uh, and hoarding, quite literally, is uh, a direct consequence of the way we have our economy set up. Uh, And it was also a consequence of even feudal times, just the ones doing the hoarding were uh, far and in between, uh, because they were given the right by God. But now you Mm. are given the right by J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs. But um, it is the objective of a socialist uh, government or system or fucking syndicate, whatever the fuck you want to call it, to uh, understand that problem and uh, approach it properly. And what do I mean by this? Very simple. Uh, Yes, sure. The heavy industry that Hakim talked about, fucking important. Yes, needing to protect yourself, potential invaders, fucking important. Yes, uh, what is actually going to raise the standards of our population on our road towards socialism, arguably the most important. But also keep in mind that people having genes which one is checkered and not in lower stage of communism and while you're building socialism are also important because there's that guy over there in the US or in West Germany or in London who has those checkered (laughs) pants and who's continuously going to be flashing them in front of you. He's not going to be showing you people living in ghettos and fucking starving and children working in heavy industry, but he is constantly going to bombard you through radio waves, through satellite TV, etc., etc., about just how much better they have it over there because they have these little things. So yes, from from the perspective of what is more, more important to develop, absolutely heavy industry, no discussion. But from the perspective of how to protect the revolution, maybe one people sh- like the leadership should also think about uh, about making some uh, fun saps. Exactly. <laughs> Satisfying some of the lower yeah. needs that people might have. And yes, I will use the word lower needs because they are lower needs. They are these yeah. individualist, liberal thinking fucking cringe fests. But <laughs> uh, they are embedded in our mind. I mean, I joke about the fucking BMW all the time. I joke about fucking about the fucking wear my fucking gold all over the fucking place. Yes, and I understand <laughs> it and it's embedded in my brain. But uh, as we're moving towards uh, more stable class consciousness and 
true achieved class consciousness, uh, we have to go through a few generations of people which will still give a fuck about this very yeah. intensely, and that mm-hmm. needs to be that needs to be addressed. Mm. Uh, but I just wanted to continue. Like this is, would be a very nice segue into different things that people are very afraid of. There's different things that people are very afraid of when it comes to uh, the way revolutions went and the way certain uh, policies were enacted immediately after revolutions in previous socialist experiments that they don't think would uh, happen in a more modern approach to a, for example, socialist revolution. And as an example, I would like to talk about, uh, just touch on the concept of uh, nationalization. I can't even pronounce it in English, (laughs) but... uh, let me explain it to the viewers who don't know. The majority of past revolutions came at a time where, for example, there was a massive scarcity of places to live at. Literally, there were no houses, not enough houses and apartments. So once the bourgeois was expropriated, which means we took their shit, they had to share their houses, their mansions, but very often even like average apartments and homes with plenty of strangers they've never met imported from some village for the needs of usually industrialization from the villages to the cities. So a lot of people make the joke, oh, my family ran away from communism because they stole my grandpa's slaves. (laughs) And uh, sure, I mean, that applies in most cases, in my opinion, but also doesn't in some other ones. I mean, class warfare is a very harsh motherfucker. And I honestly will not, you know, sit here and feel pity even for the smallest of petite bourgeois workshop owner who did most likely have everything taken like i don't know an example my girlfriend's anarchist great-grandpa who had a little metal works shop it got completely nationalized and he was basically his life standards fell massively but my point isn't to feel bad for them but my point is the following what do we have today that back then we didn't. When it comes to places to live, we have far more of them than there are homeless people. When it comes to homes to own, millions of apartments in the US alone are ran by parasites who give them out for rent and don't even live there. And when it comes to work, plenty of massive enterprises, which aren't hiring only because they need to upkeep job scarcity and keep profits up. So what I'm saying is that a potential process of quote-unquote nationalization of a revolution today will be far less intrusive on uh, even what people like today to call the, the middle class than, uh, than back then, like 100 or 7 years ago, because there's quite literally no need for it. Nobody's coming for your two-story house, Bob. Even though back in the day they might have, and maybe even today we should, because a guy named Bob probably has somebody chained up in his basement. But that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we uh, here in the United States, we have so many empty apartments, and they just they keep building these luxury apartments that no one's going to move into. It's just a big money laundering scheme in places like New York, for example. Um, but like today, we the average worker can't afford a place to live, um, and we have no history of, you know, providing these homes to people for free like in some other um, 
some other countries, other socialist projects. Or So the statistic here, if, if you're not aware, is that there is not a single county in the United States where a minimum wage worker can afford a two-bedroom apartment. And it's like yeah, 97%. Yeah, it looks like 97% can't afford a, a single bedroom apartment. So that's the type of thing where it's Please, like, guys, what, the, what are you talking about? Just get your parents to pay for it, all right? <laughs> what are you talking I, about, I mean, right? Yeah, and that's the, major, that's the majority of people my age who do have a place mm-hmm. to live. It's, it's taken care of by their parents. Like their parents will pay the down payment on a house or something and just say, yeah, pay us back whenever. Um, oh, by the way, uh, sorry, just to uh, yeah. sorry for cutting off, but I'm not trying to make fun of people who like got some help from their parents. What I'm trying to uh, make fun of is, you know, sometimes you see the, like these articles on New York Times or something, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm like 19 years old, and I pay, and here's how I pay for my five thousand dollar a month <laughs> yeah. fucking uh, apartment, and it's like, oh, my electricity, my rent, and my uh, student loan payments are paid my by my parents. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. it's always the so same. What do you pay for fucking? <laughs> <laughs> here's how I did it. My mm. mom did it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's always the same. Mm. But yeah, I mean, when we're talking about um, any kind of revolution and expropriation and stuff, like it wouldn't even be like no one would suffer. You've got these massive uh, land-holding corporations who just hold these these places hostage in the United States. And so in the event that they were expropriated, that would be it. Like no one would suffer. People would just move into those apartments that are ready to mm-hmm. be lived in and the problem would be solved. So it's it's to me it's a it's a non issue. This also leads kinda of into a point. I won't discuss it now, but just for the interest of those who are interested, the idea of small businesses and oh they might be expropriated. The vast majority of former socialisms, uh, small businesses were usually not expropriated, at least not at the very beginning. Uh, in future socialism especially, this idea is is a silly one of expropriating such small businesses. And for people who consider like, oh but capitalism is better for small businesses, it in all uh, uh, extents is not um, yeah. capitalism as it develops is has a tendency towards centralization of capital and as a result those with petty bourgeois leanings who have like you know small little business and want to uh, grow it will either in very minority uh, cases uh, make it to the to become a big capitalist or like in the majority of cases their business will fail and they will be proletarianized exactly um, incredibly important point point. that's an incredibly important point because ironically and i don't think this happened at any point in history before okay maybe in the last decade it started happening but i I, yes i'm going to say it the petite bourgeois have more class interest with the proletariat today than they do with uh large capitalists literally which is fucking hilarious, even though a lot of them are horrible employers and treat people like shit, etc., etc. <laughs> but but yeah. they, their interests, just the greedy interest of what they would be uh, living like in uh, uh, the next 50 years in, for example, a, a fledgling socialist experiment, or in the next 50 years of their existence in capitalism in the direction it is taking now, trust me, uh, your, the first option is much better for you. Yeah. And just to, again, like, just tie it all together um, with the idea of, oh, with expropriation also comes up all abolition of private property because that's what uh, communists want. Um, and uh, Marx already, like, rebutted this point um, with people like, oh, but you're going to take my private property. Um, first of all, the difference between personal and private property, this is not a one-on-one episode either way, so you should already know this. <laughs> but um, Marx already rebuked, uh, he already rebuked this point by saying private property is already done away with for nine-tenths of the population. 
right? Um, you don't own any massive tracts of land. You don't own uh, acres and acres of agricultural fields. You don't own uh, uh, mines. You don't own massive factories. You don't own shit. At most, what, you have a fucking guitar and your toothbrush and your dragon dildo. I don't know what the fuck you have, but <laughs> you have these, this handful of, of things, and most likely you're renting an apartment or whatever. But even if you own one, again, personal property. There's nothing that's going to be uh, directly expropriated and taken away from you. And this is also further reinforced by the fact that if you look at top... Uh, home ownership percentages across the world, the vast majority of countries where there's a high percentage of home ownership are almost entirely all former socialist countries or current socialist countries. So this is just a point to, 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 to build on. Um, how well, did you know? How, but how did you know about, about my dragon dildo <laughs> hidden behind my please. guitar? Have you please, dude? okay. I, I hack into your, into your webcam and I use it when I'm lonely <laughs> at night. <laughs> but, but there was such a sharp fire plan like <laughs> i bought a guitar that i never learned how to play to hide my dildo behind mm -hmm. and when uh, somebody comes over and I'm, uh, and i'm going towards the guitar they're like oh my fucking cringe is he's gonna fucking do a serenade or some shit right now and then i pull out the dildo and it's like, <laughs> and an like extra hey! extra happiness you know it's fucking nice <laughs> nice hey. oh my all goodness. right anyways <sighs> our, our personal um uh, our personal relationship aside <laughs> um uh, let's circle back to, to, to criticism of former socialism. I think a, a point that uh, a lot of people are actually waiting for us to talk about uh, is the idea of democracy and democratic participation. Um, if you guys would allow me to, to, to begin. Um, generally, across all or the vast majority of former socialisms, there was... Uh, and even modern socialism continue to exist in demo democratic structures across all levels of society. Um, the biggest lie that you've been ever been told is that the former socialist countries have been dictatorships or they weren't democratic or what have you. A actual nuanced and honest study of it will at the very least, at the very minimum, put you in the, in the headspace of, yeah, it was democratic, but their democracy was in some way flawed. Um, and in that train of thought, you can't make it any more... Um, uh, any worse than what is what passes for democracy in the uh, Western dictatorships of the bourgeoisie. Um, that being said, though, just because there was democratic participation at all levels of society doesn't mean it wasn't limited. Um, what do I mean by this? Uh, I'll use Soviet examples at first, and then we can expand it to to, to other ones. Maybe you got you can add something from from Yugoslavia because that's a uh, a, a uh, area of, of lack of knowledge <laughs> in my mind. But um, in the Soviet example, there were um, issues with. Instant recall. For those who don't who are unaware, legally within the Soviet Union, there were clauses that you can hold a vote to somebody and then you can recall them from a particular position. This was an idea and this was something that existed in their legal tradition. But um, when you look at the research into this, you see that this was rarely, if ever, conducted. Now, I have never found anything that indicates that they were prevented from doing so. Like it was just, you know, like, haha, we're going to make people think like we have instant recall, but never actually practices. It just wasn't ever practiced. Uh, I'm not so naive as to think that this means that every, you know, Soviet official ever was just so great that they never needed to be recalled. Um, but uh, I think this is a, a, a field of um, democratic education, we can say, uh, or education on democracy in which people probably didn't know that they had this ability or probably weren't properly educated in this ability or there were certain limitations made on the process just to make it more you know bothersome so people didn't end up bothering to do that uh, but that's kind of a, a minute point the larger point of, of, of criticism of uh, democratic processes were 
this is how it is. Number one uh, was a point we already tied on, the ossification of leadership, that there were really old people as a result of respect in other fields, uh, and other uh, concepts, they maintained positions for way too long that they shouldn't have been in, number one. Number two, there was a sort of, uh, in, in the inverse of this point, there was a sort of ageism, we can say, uh, where the idea was that uh, certain young people wouldn't be suited uh, for, for uh, uh, certain positions, which I personally disagree with. I don't see why a 28-year-old would do a worse job than a 38-year-old, uh, personally. Uh, a, a third point, which is more uh, important, is this. The latter periods of the Soviet existence had a kind of a ambivalence towards democratic participation, uh, meaning that people, although they could carry out change through the democratic processes that existed, they nonetheless didn't use them. And this reflected maybe a lack of, of, of uh, trust in the system, maybe uh, the existence of corrupt officials um, that would kind of gain the system in intelligent ways would make people not want to contribute or not, uh, vote uh, in, in these in these. Uh, Differing elections, that's number one. Number two, uh, in the Soviet Union, there weren't contested elections. The idea of cons contested elections being that, for example, one of them is representative by, is represented by the party and another person is not necessarily independent because they had independent actors or, or what have you, uh, like independent people who could go up for elect elected positions. But also contested elections meaning by somebody who represents a different political trend. What I mean specifically is not a non-socialist political trend. This is something that needs to be cleared, uh, cleared up. The very idea that, oh, multi-party democracy is somehow more democratic is flawed. Because in the U.S., we currently have a quote-unquote multi-party democracy, but your choices are between the capitalist party or the other capitalist party and the other numerous third capitalist parties. There's not really an, a, a proper opposition. This is not democratic. And in the sense of the word, socialism does try to represent the general aims of the working class, and the working class being the vast majority of society, anybody who would be trying to vote for capitalism isn't voting for the general interests of the uh, mass of the working class. And that's why I don't personally agree with multi-party democracy, with uh, the idea of, you know, capitalist parties being available. But very interestingly, in the Soviet Union, in the, in the late 30s and uh, very beginning of early 40s, there was a drive to have contested elections with... Um, uh, you know, a secret ballot and everything, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was scrapped. They, by the way, even in the in the Soviet archives, there were um, uh, prototype ballots and everything. They had the system completely set up, but it was never actually put into practice. And the reason it was never put into practice was uh, World War II started. Uh, and then afterwards, <laughs> of course, the, the idea just kind of died. Um, God knows why. I think it's mostly careerism, which is a point that Yugopnik is going to touch on after this. Um, but yeah, this is a, a point. And number two, I, I know I've, I've said like number one, two, three, and I've fucked up the order, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, number two as well is that a lot of uh, democratic participation or democratic decisions were passed down from the Soviet Union to other countries. What does this mean? Usually what the, you know, big brother Soviet Union did was what other countries would follow and they would just kind of, you know, and then like the, 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 uh, their equivalent of the Politburo or the National Assembly or uh, the Supreme Soviet, whatever their uh, equivalents uh, may be. Um, just because Big Brother Soviet Union voted for it, we think we're going to do it too because they probably know better than we do, you know, like more developed in socialism, blah, blah, blah. This didn't happen always, for example. Uh, Hungary has a few decent examples of opposition to Soviet um, uh, dictates. Uh, Czechoslovakia as well. Uh, Romania is very famous for them. Um, but uh, many other countries went the other way as well, uh, where they just kind of accepted what the Soviet Union decided and they technically did vote on it, but uh, the, the seriousness of that vote can be called into question. Um, and then finally, uh, the idea of term limits. Again, this I'm just saying this uh, for, for you know the audience. I personally 
think that if somebody's doing a good job, they shouldn't be limited in terms just for, you know, like if I had a good overseeing physician, why would I want to prevent them from, you know, <laughs> like this is my, at least my thinking, right? Uh, in my personal field, Say maybe this can be kind of extended to politics in general. Uh, if somebody's doing a good job, they shouldn't be limited for some uh, arbitrary amount of time uh, to then be barred from politics. Uh, the very idea in the United States of having term limits uh, happened as uh, actually uh, against working class interests. Uh, I believe it was Roosevelt who ruled for three, terms was it yeah something like that yeah and the very uh they tried to institute or they did institute term limits within the united states because they the work the ruling class was afraid of roosevelt and what he did which was the, <laughs> the new deal at the time even though that was a compromise with them etc etc but anyways so let me just tldr this because i rambled on a lot for this sorry about that um point number one ossification of leadership point number two there was a, a certain amount of ages and that existed within those societies that didn't allow young people to enter into the political system point number three uh tacit acceptance is that the correct word um just like acceptance of Soviet dictates, even though they're technically voted on, um, they accepted them regardless without too much uh, consideration. Point number four, uh, loss of, of um, uh, confidence in Soviet and other socialist democratic processes for whatever reason, either corruption, either um, a, a, a general, let's say, maybe disapproval of how things were run, so they decided to not participate in the system, much like how, for example, in the United States right now, people don't uh, participate in the democratic system because they dis disagree with it, they don't see any change. Point number Number five, uh, issues with point, uh, with um, uh, instant recall and people not actually uh, using it all that often. And I guess uh, relative point number six, uh, which I didn't discuss, but I can just uh, say it real quick, centralization of leadership uh, and, 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 and decision-making um, within usually very small group of people, regardless of them being having been democratically elected themselves and regardless of them democratically elect, uh, d uh, voting on whatever is going to uh, take place, the very fact that major decisions that would guide the country are done by a clique of like 20 people is still wrong. Um, and I kind of agree with more of an idea of a direct democratic um, or uh, what Cockshot discusses, if you guys are aware of it, uh, with uh, more yeah direct democracy in regards to very large decisions that would affect the entire nation. Um, this point can be discussed a lot further, but I think we're going to have a proper episode on uh, former socialist um uh, democracy and what we can do in the future because there's a lot of interesting work that's being done now um and yeah that's me i'll shut up i'll shut up now <laughs> <laughs> no that was fantastic i mean you guys had so much interesting stuff to say and i'm sure you could have gone on forever um but now that we've discussed all the good faith and self-crit stuff let's move on to the bad faith and ignorant stuff and that's what i'm here for <laughs> so i'm gonna play the role of the typical american <laughs> And I'm going to give you guys some common objections to socialist projects. And I'd just like to, to hear your thoughts on these. And some of these are, you know, very poorly formed, and that's the point. So yeah. let's just, just before jump you in. Start, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. So just one, one last point, because um, uh, JT said that, like, we've uh, gone over through the, some criticisms. Uh, I think this is patently clear. There are so many more. There are dozens more. But otherwise, this uh, podcast episode would be, like, four hours, and nobody would fucking listen to it. So, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do something extra. But we've touched on maybe four or five major ones, and I think in our notes themselves, there's, like, 12 others that we could have discussed that we didn't get to. So just, yeah. <laughs> Notes, anyway, sorry, JT. notes. I don't use notes. It's Excuse all me, yeah, directly off the from dome. my brain. <laughs> off the dome. Uh, sorry, JT. Go on. All right. Let's jump into my first objection here. Let's see. All right. Here's one. The economics don't work. These experiments always failed. So this is a really common one here in the U.S. You see these, uh, like the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and like, okay, obviously the economics didn't work. It was just a failure. So what do we say to those people? 
eat my ass. Eat my ass. <laughs> but yeah, if you're saying if the words like these are coming out of your mouth, I'm not sure what type of stuff is coming into your mouth. So I would not let you anywhere near my ass with that mouth. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, this one the economics don't work. It uh, can be approached from like 17 angles. So angle number one is. Uh, the Cold War was a competition with, between a market-based, uh, capital, fully capitalist economy and a centrally planned economy, which uh, put the interests of its own population uh, first and was not run necessarily by the profit motive. And therefore, uh, it cannot compete in generating uh, as uh, much, quote-unquote, it is not run based on how much stuff it can, quote-unquote, uh, generate profit through. Uh, and it does not identify success through the creation and increased wealth of elites inside of its own country and therefore on a global global trade scale it cannot uh, compete with a uh, with an economic system which is very willing to uh, bury uh, its own people under the ground for example in the UK Margaret Thatcher famously pretty much uh, destroyed the the in the mining industry and uh, left uh, literally thousands of miners uh, without a job because it was economically feasible for the for the British economic elites uh, something that, for example, the USSR would not do and it would keep for in order to be able to keep uh, the jobs of miners because it puts it as as the main main thing toward which drives its policies. So quite literally, from the perspective of the Cold War, it could not directly compete uh, with somebody who literally is not playing by the by the same rules. Number two, uh, a socialist economy can be set up in many, many different ways. What we've seen specifically in the Soviet Union is it becoming a planned economy. That is one approach towards how we could potentially develop a socialist state. Back then, yes, the planned economy had... Uh, certain problems with it, but for the amount of time in which it existed, it had, in my modest opinion, absolutely phenomenal results. Mm. And uh, whatever uh, fucking, um, oh my God, everybody was starving and waiting in bread lines, rhetoric you're looking at online, uh, turn on CNN right now and look at just how many bread lines there are absolutely mm. everywhere. There are bread lines mm. when there is a time of crisis, be it for one or 50 different reasons in whatever system you fucking have uh, and actually with a centrally planned system you, you are more likely to uh, see these uh, these issues coming beforehand quicker and react to them quicker which we have seen with countries which have much more centralized economies such as vietnam or china etc uh, etc et and how they combated uh, covid recently uh, but uh, when it comes to the modern version and again i'm not saying that in all socialisms, a centrally planned economy is the only way we can go. But in a modern centrally planned economy is a little guy called Amazon, is a little guy mm -hmm. called Walmart. Mm -hmm. With uh, modern uh, data mining and uh, big data analysis uh, programs, as well as AI, but also professional individuals, people uh, with that specific education, we are capable of... Uh, processing far more data than we ever could in order to make the proper economic decisions, something that massive corporations are already doing as internal planned economies, and they're seeing insane 
return on investment and insane growth because they are carefully planning uh, their said uh, operations. So basically the point, the, the second point after the Cold War one was uh, the centrally planned economy in the Soviet Union for its time and its, uh, and its capabilities did pretty fucking well. Uh, and if it had the ability, uh, abilities which modern tech is giving us today, it would blow any quote-unquote uh, market system out of the fucking water. Uh, so from all of these perspectives, no, it, the, 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 these experiments have not failed because of uh, economic inconsistencies but because of different internal inconsistencies as well as immense international and foreign imperialist pressure which led the led to to their collapse it had nothing to if if they were left as a bubble uh to to just mind their own fucking business we could we would probably be seeing a a very uh, very different world today for those interested in um, the feasibility of planned economies in the modern day uh, definitely check out the people's republic of walmart it's a book um, author is lee phillips i believe and michael rosowski something like that mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's definitely an interesting read and something to consider for sure yeah, and uh, just a side note about the People's Republic of Walmart and intrafirm planning and all that, because um, there's I can hear it in the back of my head. But oh, that's intrafirm, you know, it's all entire economy <laughs> scale, blah blah. Yes, yes, yes. These are all valid criticisms, but you need to realize that the same technology that allows intrafirm planning allows for well, economy wide planning. It's the the idea is there, and uh, this this path is being forged. Number one, number two, look into Project Cybersyn. Number three, um, read Paul Cockshot's work. Um, these are my three recommendations. If you really want an honest dive into the feasibility of modern planning towards a new socialism by cockshots is absolutely indispensable but just Man, to build every episode point. you're talking about cockshots we told you to mm. be less horny in these <laughs> fucking things Jesus sorry Christ. Habib. i mean ah. when when i see you and i see your beautiful face you know the dragon lily comes out i don't know what to tell you <laughs> but yeah <laughs> to, to build up the build up on the uh the beautiful um uh, stupidity that was rained down on us uh, by JT's hypothetical uh, Thank person. You. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the I don't like this argument because it shows such a lack of goodwill uh, or good. Uh, it's not a good faith argument. I think is is the correct way of wording in English. Mm. Because number one, if you were to shoot somebody in the leg and then blame and then they they can't walk very well and then you point at them and be like, hey, yeah, like you know, um, <laughs> uh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Then it's not really the person's fault, right? You're you're directly sabotaging them. But this is the thing. Imagine if you were to shoot somebody in the leg and then they start sprinting like a professional fucking sprinter, <laughs> right? You'd be like, what the fuck? And then you think, imagine what he could do if I didn't shoot him in the leg. That's a better analogy of socialism because socialism, despite the diplomatic vilification, uh, economic sabotage, military invasion, and every other fucking negative uh, isolation of every sort, every form, uh, all the negative shit that the Western capitalist powers would try to do against, for example, the Soviet Union, regardless, within the span of 30 years, a backward, backwards feudal... I don't want to say backwater because I said backwards, but you know exactly what I mean. Where <laughs> peasants and used wooden plows, right? Where they had no industry practically, aside from what, say, Petersburg, and it was mostly cannon production and bullshit like that, right? 
a country within the span of three decades that, that came from that sort of uh, shitty situation to being able to, number one, defeat the Nazis, and number two, conquer the cosmos, and number three, give an example to the rest of the third world and developing world of an economic alternative to capitalism. This is mind-boggling to imagine. And just think, just like you said, imagine what they could have done if they hadn't been restricted artificially in all these different ways. That's number one. Number two, just like you said, the point of socialism is not to maximize profit. So you're playing a, a game that that socialism is not meant to win. Um, maximizing GDP, for example, uh, is bullshit. You can have a country with fucking 10 million people, but one dude is a multi-trillionaire and the GDP will be very high as long as he spends that money. It doesn't mean, doesn't change the fact that uh, the country can stay very poor. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, socialist nations. They weren't directed towards maximizing profit, so it's a stupid point to make. And number three, um, if their economies were really, uh, or the idea of socialism being not feasible because of economic failure, what would you say of the economic boom-bust cycles of capitalism? This is just hypocrisy, really. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more points to delve into, um, but uh, if you're interested in the economic calculation uh, part of all this uh, and, and, and uh, planning, uh, then you can check out my video on uh, uh, the economic calculation problem. I forgot what I fucking called it, but yeah, just go on my channel, write ECP, Hakeem ECP will come up. Um, I have lots of sources that you can check out if you're interested delving deeper. Sorry for taking so long. JT, next point, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fantastic. I think you guys hit on a really, uh, some good bits of information there um, and turned what is generally a bad faith argument into a, a good genuine discussion yeah. so all right let's move on to the next one then uh here you go enjoy mm-hmm. big brother is always watching you you can't say anything bad about the government <laughs> bro do you go pink do you want to take this one? you go habibi i i will get too angry <laughs> i think <laughs> all right so this is this is a very stupid argument because Whatever you think the Stashi did and every other quote unquote, oh, secret police, the NKVD, they came and they licked my balls. I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you think they did, right? Modern capitalist surveillance is trillions of times worse. It's trillions of times more fucking extensive, right? It is the most stupid. I'll give you a perfect example, all right? Um, you know, whenever I see a stray cat, right? Uh, because I don't know, just for some reason, whenever I go, I have a, a strong affinity to cats. So I go and I pet them. And I, I start talking to them. My stupid fucking, you know, oh, I'm going to talk to your animal voice. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I say something to the equivalent of, oh, like, oh, you little baby. Look how cute you are. You're such a cute little baby. I use the word baby over and over again. Literally, I come home and then if I open fucking Instagram or whatever the fuck, the first thing I see, I'm going to see is an ad for, or YouTube. I see fucking ads for, for diapers and for, yeah. um, uh, uh, what's it called um breast um breastfeeding formula uh, a formula that's what it's called formula and all that kind of shit this is this not this is like a benign example because it's used in advertising what do you think about the 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 uh programs that the united states have in which fucking the nsa which by the way nobody knew what they fucking did up until like <laughs> 2011 once that leaked yeah. all that nonsense right where it came out that hey you know even you innocent guy in germany who has nothing to do with the united states they're reading your text messages right you read that merkel's fucking... text messages <laughs> yeah, fucking chancellor. what the fuck are we talking about here it's like fucking hell jesus christ the nudes you're sending are being viewed by <laughs> Some fucking horny NSA agent. I don't know what to tell. How is this not? You know, aside from every other form of uh, censorship and 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 uh, uh, 
surveillance that occurred both historically uh, and as well as modern day, this is in no way a good faith argument because if you truly gave a shit, then you'd be like, hey, yeah, maybe some aspects of former um, socialist surveillance were not that great, even though the fact that you need to understand that and a lot of time they were uh, necessary. Um, for example, they are very good at uncovering terrorist plots. That was a thing that used to happen. They were good at making sure that there isn't a counter-revolutionary movement in society. A lot of fascist nonsense was stopped in the Soviet Union. Uh, reactionary fascist shit was stopped in the Soviet Union because of this surveillance. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But uh, if we can say some aspects of that were kind of unsavory and maybe unnecessary. But if you're going to have this opinion, then you're going to have to be far more harsh in criticizing what modern capitalist nations do. So either, you know, you be honest and you criticize the one who deserves to be criticized more, or you reveal yourself to be, you know, a boring ideologue who only cares about trying to pretend to be smart by criticizing socialism when you don't understand what the fuck it was about. I will I will use the greatest anti-communist argument ever invented against the anti-communists, which is iPhone. Uh, what do I mean by this? If... You think there was a big uh, brother surveillance mass indoctrination system in socialist experiments? Sure, from time to time, maybe. But uh, iPhone, Mm. Uh, just uh, iPhone, the iPhone you have in your pocket compared to the most advanced Stasi technology is a fucking... NKVD mass murdering, as Hakim said, ball licking machine. The iPhone puts the fucking SS, the fucking Gestapo, to shame. Okay, so don't come over here in my fucking house talking to me (laughs) about fucking surveillance because you guys are the fucking kings of it. And it's individual private enterprises who are like it's not enough to them selling him the phone it's not Mm. enough that i'm selling him the phone every year it's not enough that i'm getting percentages from all the apps that are being sold on this phone it's Mm. not enough that i'm getting made for cheaper and cheaper so my profit margins are increasing it's not enough Mm. that i'm making more and more arguments and making it a bit five to ten percent more expensive every fucking year none of this is enough also let's also sell their private info yeah, You're, what what you are, what you look at, all that bullshit. What annoys yeah. me is this this idea is like, oh, but they would like sometimes uh, when a diplomat would come over or whatever in his hotel room, the Soviet Union would have the Soviets would put up a fucking bugging device or some shit. By the way, very naive of you to to think that the U.S. didn't do the same shit. When Everybody the does that. Them. Oh yeah, people yeah. come to my house. I put a bug in the, the camera. And, oh shit! No, yeah. wait. Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah, the, 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 in Minecraft. Yes, sorry. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, what annoys me about this argument even more is that. In the modern day, you, they don't even need to do all that bullshit because your phone fucking bugs you all the time. Google is listening to you all the fucking yeah. time, right? TLDR, eat my ass, okay? That's my, that's my argument. <laughs> <laughs> well said, gentlemen. All right, let's, let's move on to this last one that I have, and that is, aren't all communist regimes oppressive? Won't they kill you if you don't play along? Yes. <laughs> okay, there we go. And that's the show. <laughs> no, but this is also a very stupid point because um, when people say this, right, they, they usually need to c- complete the point, which is, oh, 100 million dead. And yep. the best response to this whenever anybody tells you this is like, okay, Not well, line up. Let's, li- no, you tell them line up and let's make it 100 million in one. But <laughs> this is also very stupid because it has no no um, grounding in reality. 
the idea that anybody anybody who resisted or who, who was a dissident was um, uh, killed, that's not true. The very worst thing that could happen to you, and this was yeah, the absolute worst thing that could happen to you, was you'd be arrested. And not because, oh, you have some, you know, you wrote a book that was too sensitive for the fucking censors. No, it's because usually you passed out fucking fascist propaganda. That's uh, Solzhenitsyn was a perfect example of this. People are like, oh, he's a dissident because, you know, he wrote fucking, uh, uh, he was advocating against the Soviet system. He just was, you know, a free thinker. No, he was out literally handing fucking fascist leaflets at universities to students. All right. This was not a good guy. This is not a dude you want on your fucking side. All right. <laughs> and this kind of goes for most of them. Uh, a lot of uh, Cuban uh, um, people who were dissidents, if you look at the shit, they, they because uh, Cuba's actually fairly chill, right? You'll be in prison for a small period of time. Then eventually, if you actually want to get out, then they'll uh, give you a visa to leave the country if you want to. And then they fuck off and they go to Miami. And then you listen to the shit that they say. And then like, oh, the, the stuff they say about blacks, the stuff they mm. say about, uh, you know, it's like, I remember I was watching, um, what was this? It was an interview of one of these, oh, you fucking, uh, they took my slaves, uh, fucking Cuban, all that kind of stuff. And one of his central points was that, oh, uh, the blacks that used to work on my, on my like, f- parents' field, um, uh, fields and whatnot, and agriculture, basically, practically slaves, they get, oh, they were educated and they started becoming doctors. Who did, th- who did, who did they think they are? That they, you know, this is what, this was an actual guy who, th- he was thinking he was making a good point against socialism. Right. If I can find the thing, maybe I'll, I'll send it to you guys. But oh my god, uh, you can hear I'm not making a fucking coherent points because this is points fucking pisses me <laughs> off so much. It's so stupid. By the way, friend Hampton was shot in his sleep by an FBI agent right in yeah. front of his pregnant wife. All right. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm X was assassinated. Right. Same with Martin Luther King. A dude, well, the a, entire a, a, a dude just fucking froze to death because yeah. he can't afford fucking rent. Communist yeah. regimes will kill you if you disagree. Fucking capitalist regimes don't have to kill you. You will fucking freeze. <laughs> they'll ki- yeah, they'll kill you off. if you don't have money to pay for something. Yeah, but yeah. no, I, I'm just saying, oh, the entire Black Panther, if you look at this, it's insane. Almost the entire cadre of the Black Panther Party is either dead or in prison. Mm-hmm. The, the insanity of the statement, right? And and people like to think like, oh, yeah, but, but. no, just because it's not as widely publicized, the, the, the political repression undergoes and that, that happens under uh, capitalist countries uh, doesn't change the fact, right? Even, quote-unquote, oh, highly socially liberal and accepting Western social democracies, all that nonsense, um, like, you know, Denmark and, and, and France and Germany and whatnot, you know... Uh, Small local businesses that smell, uh, that smell, what the fuck, that sell, not smell, <laughs> that sell leftist literature, right, are under surveillance. If you, I remember I was reading this, this thing where it was like um, in the in the 80s and the 90s, there, the, the uh, Norwegian or Swedish police, uh, police, I don't remember who, kept a direct surveillance line of every single person that entered and exited and every transaction that took place inside like a little mom and shop fucking leftist literature store. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, the most, right? It was boring shit, you know, <laughs> the shit that I like to read. It was boring <laughs> literature. <laughs> J- JT, if you want to, you can tell your story and your experience. Uh, if you want to. If you want if, to. Of course, yeah. if you don't want to, don't. But Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. I haven't I haven't really talked about it in uh, at any length. So here in the U.S., it we have this notion that... Um, you can you can say whatever you want, and you have the freedom of speech, and no one's going to come after you for it. Well, once <laughs> upon a time, I um, this was after my geez, what video was it? CIA one, the CIA one. That's right, yeah. Banger video. Everybody go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm proud of that video. I spent a lot of time on that video, and it's very it's, good. I mean, 
Thank you. But it it didn't con- I made a video about the CIA and called them a terrorist organization. And there was nothing in that video that wasn't already public knowledge, right? You can find all of this stuff online. A lot of it's from like CIA whistleblowers and stuff. So, I put that video out and a few days later, I get a knock on my door. And typically, it was the NKVD. You know, no, it was, it was they, they were here, you have to be here for my balls. Enigma. But so you know, I, as usual, I was in my work uniform, which is my pajamas, and I so I open the door, <laughs> and there are these two burly gentlemen uh, with you know black uh, masks and uh, a buzz cut, you know, heads shaped roughly like thumbs, um, <laughs> and I was like, "Can I can I help you guys?" And like, yeah, we're um, we're from the Department of Homeland Security, and we just wanted to ask you a few questions about your YouTube content. I'm like, oh, great, Fun okay, me. here we go. Yeah, and so I I said, uh, yeah, let me let me go grab a mask real quick. So I close the door and I take a second to compose myself. I'm like, I don't think I need to talk to these guys. I think mm-hmm. I can legally tell them to leave. Fuck off. <laughs> but but I wasn't certain, and I didn't feel like getting shot that day. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I grabbed a mask and I went back outside. I was like, all right, uh, what kind of questions do you guys have? Like. All right. Well, um, you're you're JT Chapman, right? Yes. Is this your home? Yes. How long have you lived here? I tell him how long I've lived here. How many other people live here? I give him that information. Um, obviously, this is stuff that they already know because they've it's got their intimidation. Their yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they're just they're just trying to to shake me up a little bit. And so they asked if second thoughts my YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, well, we got some reports about anti-American sentiment in your content. Like Based. oh. <laughs> okay, we're we're still we're still doing this thing. We're still doing the Cold War McCarthyism stuff. Um and so that was just to me that was when I like I knew this stuff happened, but the fact that they were willing to take time out of their day to visit a dude who lives in the suburbs and makes 15-minute videos to put up on on YouTube um that is just vaguely critical of the status quo. That they ha- would do that, they would allocate resources for that goes to show just how little freedom you actually have to mm. to be in any way critical of the capitalist status quo and the state in general. So the notion that we are not um, surveilled and uh, watched very carefully and that people could come and show up at your door any day of the week and harass you because of you know perceived anti-American sentiment – is absurd. So that's mm. we we don't live in some you know bastion of freedom. We are just as much surveilled, likely far far more so mm. than any nation on earth and in the history of of the world. So yeah, don't operate under the assumption that you're not being watched because you probably mm. are. And that's why I'm thankful I'm not in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because if if your content was considered anti-American, what the fuck would they say about mine? <laughs> Yeah, mine is very, like, it's pretty light stuff. I mean, this is stuff that's already been published. I'm like, hey, maybe we should give people health care. Maybe we shouldn't murder the homeless. I'm like, oh, that's anti-American. Javi, this is what you do. The the next, uh, uh, inshallah, you won't ever get a visit from these fucking Googles again. But if that that comes to pass, then you open the door, you look at them, and then you just say, Marbar Amerika, and then you go and you close your door. That's the, (laughs) (laughs) for those who are unaware, that's the Persian uh, chant at the end of their meetings where they say, oh, and death to America. Of course, <laughs> <Love> <laughs> there was a, a lovely. I mean, Iraq is always so um, uh, anti-American. I, I, I wonder why. I wonder why. I couldn't possibly fathom. Possibly why. But yeah, um, uh, there's a. Sometimes we have even periods of like heightened uh, anti-Americanism, which are so lovely to experience. Um, and every once in a while, people come up with interesting chants. I think the last one uh, that I really liked was. 
uh, Allah, Allahu Akbar, Amrika Shaitan Al Akbar, which basically means God, God is great, um, and uh, the USA is the greatest great Satan. Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <it's the> great Satan. <laughs> or the great Satan, exactly. Yeah. Just, uh, and that also parallels with Chavez's uh, beautiful uh, UN. Uh, uh, presentation when he, he went up on the podium he's like i still smell f- the devil was here i still smell the sur- sulfur because the day oh. before um george bush was on the podium <laughs> <laughs> fucking what a chad honestly uh, oh man <laughs> my favorite one is america is it's a song and it's basically uh america is damned and so is all gold that glistens you know an anti <laughs> He's an anti-consumerism thing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Want to wrap this up, ladies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's do that. Fuck. We'll go off forever. All right. Well, then that was the the <laughs> nice wrapping up. Thank you for sharing, JT, the horrible experience you had, and inshallah <laughs> that won't ever happen again. Uh, yeah. We all hope for the crumbling of the future American empire. Uh, Mr. CIA agent who's watching this, I hope you're enjoying being radicalized. <laughs> <laughs> Join us. And of co- uh, become a tier three sub. Join the <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> oh fuck. Well, yeah. So that was that was the podcast. Of course, like we mentioned earlier, there's so much more that we can discuss about faults of former socialism. Uh, there's also a lot more of those silly little you know uh, arguments that you hear a lot that we can counter. Uh, but sadly, the time doesn't allow. There will be more future episodes. I promise you that. So, uh, with that being said, I'm Hakim. I'm JT, and I am Yugopnik. See you later, guys. Mwah.